Our scripture this morning is from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so I tried chat GBT for the first time this week. I figured with this new series and the topic at hand today, does life have a purpose? Maybe you could generate a sermon for me. I don't know. I actually had a uh, leader a few months back do that. They sent me a sermon where they're like, here's a sermon that ChatGPT wrote up on Psalm 23. I read it and I was like, it could be a lot worse. Um, so I was sitting there, I, was, I set up the account or whatever you have to do. I was looking at this like, this blank search bar. I wonder if you've ever, those of you who've used ChatGPT, you're like, I'm sitting there like, what am I gonna ask? And it came to me pretty quickly. It's like, I'm gonna ask that question of the great 21st century mind, Derek Zoolander, who am I? So I asked that question, and uh, I was a little disappointed, actually, in the response. It came back, I do not collect personal information. And, <laughs> and I was immediately like, yeah, you do. It's like, you don't need to get so defensive. <laughs> you don't have to get so defensive, Chet. Uh, and then I was like, all right, let me just go in another direction. I'll leave the serious stuff for later. And I don't know why my brain went there. I'm a sports fan. But I was like, all right, who name the top five best NBA players of all time. And, and uh, again, it was like, hey, just so you know, this is very personal preference oriented. I'm, it was basically giving me the disclaimer, as I understood it, of don't use this information to pick a fight, okay? And it said, uh, number one, Michael Jordan. Number two, LeBron James. And I was like, all right, these programs are not from LA. I was like, I can keep, they, can, they keep credibility in my mind. Um, but then I asked the question that I was really kind of heading towards. And uh, I typed in, what is the meaning of life? And no, 42 did not show up, uh, for those of you hitch, hitchhiker fans. Um, it said this. It said, it's one of, the more, uh, one of the most profound and philosophical questions, what is the meaning of life, that's been contemplated for centuries. And then it listed out a number of life philosophies, life perspectives. And uh, we'll have this on the, on the screen for you. Uh, number one, there's the religious and spiritual perspective. Of course, this is to say that there's a higher power from which we draw our meaning from. Okay. Then number two, there's the existentialist perspective, which is to say life doesn't have meaning, so I'm just going to go ahead and forge my own, okay? And then there's uh, the biological perspective, which is all about uh, propagation, 
Uh, there's human connection and relationships, which is pretty straightforward. Uh, there's the pursuit of knowledge and understanding. There's the pursuit of happiness and fulfillment. And I was reading this list, and I was like, you know, it's, it's not a bad list. And in fact, I think it will serve, serve us well as a, as a good backdrop to some of the discussions that we're going to be getting into today and really into over the next few weeks in this Explore God series, which we're really excited about. Uh, Cindy mentioned there's now about 200 churches around the Bay Area that are participating in this. Uh, that's pretty incredible. I grew up in the Bay Area. There, there hasn't been something like this with this many churches collectively involved for decades. So it's exciting to join up with other churches to do this. But then it's also exciting for us specifically here at Current because we feel like this essentially plays into exactly what we're trying to be about as a church. That's why we say every week, Cindy said it this morning, Current is a community following Jesus together. You're welcome wherever you're at on your spiritual journey. Uh, we want you to be able to explore God here safely. Um, and so actually, let me just take a moment. If you're here today because you, I don't know, got a postcard in the mail or a friend invited you or whatever the case may be, uh, we're really glad you're here. In many ways, we started Current with you in mind. And so we're excited to do this with you. For those of you who are longtime followers of Jesus, we hope this would be a helpful series to you. But we're going to explore God together. We're going to look at questions like, is there a God? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Is Christianity too narrow? Is the Bible reliable? But today we're going to focus in on, does life have a purpose? Is there, meaning, is there a meaning in life, ultimate meaning in life? Does life have, have, have purpose? And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes that was just read for us, the first chapter, because it's a book that essentially sets out to ask this same question, does life have purpose? And what's really fascinating about the book is there are a lot of people down the centuries, God believers, who have questioned what in the world is the book of Ecclesiastes doing in the Bible at all? And the reason for that is because Ecclesiastes does not pull punches. Ecclesiastes gets into it, gets, it gets into it heavy, and, and often along the way is quite bleak in its understanding of things. And so actually that's why I, I, I love the book, uh, because to me it's, it has a real sense of, of rawness and therefore feels quite real. There's a lot we can, we can take hold of and, and at least think about and consider. Today, what we're going to do is we're, we're not only going to use Ecclesiastes to get us into the question of today's topic, does life have a purpose, but also introduce us into what it means to explore God, what that might look like, what that might mean. So let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, what a joy today, even probably right in this moment, to join so many hundreds of churches in the Bay Area that are doing, that are doing essentially the same thing this series, asking these questions, looking to you and what you say about these things. My prayer, first of all, is for them. Would you bless uh, these, these churches as they try to consider these very important topics, these important topics intellectually, but also relationally, personally. Would you bless them as they, as they look to hold you up and what you offer? And I pray that same prayer for us here today. Lord, uh, my prayer, as ever, is that you'd help me get out of the way and that you would speak. Um, my prayer is that you would, to each of us, 
uh, have what it is you want us to take, take away today, including those who maybe they've, they haven't been to church in a long time, or maybe they've never been to church at all. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, here's how Ecclesiastes begins. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Again, welcome to Current. We're so glad you're here. We hope you're feeling encouraged, <laughs> uplifted. We're diving into Ecclesiastes. So first we see, we're introduced to this teacher, okay? Uh, this teacher. Uh, this teacher almost certainly was the ancient king Solomon, one of the sons of David. Uh, and he calls himself the teacher. A more specific or particular uh, translation that doesn't carry over into English all that well, which is probably why the translators didn't choose it, would be to say he's, he's a thought teacher. That's more what he's conveying here with this Hebrew word. He's a thought teacher. One biblical scholar said you could translate this uh, philosophy professor, okay? Because what he sees in his role as this teacher is to set out to ask questions and not really to answer them. The rest of the Bible is about answering a lot of these questions, but he's, he's really taking a more Socratic approach here. He's just asking questions and journeying with them. And his, his whole approach here is to try to push us logically, to try to push us to the logical conclusions of our life positions, our life philosophies. He's trying to say, hey, have you really worked out what it is you believe? And have you worked out why it is you believe what you believe? And what's more, have you thought through where all of that in your life leads? And in some ways, what he's doing throughout this, this book is saying, look, so many of us, the vast majority of us, frankly, don't consider these things, and we really ought to. We've got to wrestle with them. It's worth mentioning that this is a book in the Bible, meaning he's talking in some ways very much so to people who follow God, okay? He's saying, you've got to wrestle with these things. You've got to explore God. You've got to understand, consider these things very carefully. Consider their implications. But what's also interesting is the fact that this is a book unique in the Bible in that it hardly at all references the people of God. There's, there's like one reference to Israel. Solomon, this teacher, is not really interested in just talking to God's people, God's follower. He's talking to humankind and kind of approaching at it from that level. So he's, he's this teacher that wants to push us in what we think and why we think what we, what we believe. He calls himself this thought teacher, and he's uniquely qualified in this role. What do I mean by that? There's at least three unique quality traits, in my, my humble opinion, that make Solomon qualified in this regard. Number one, he is widely regarded as the wisest or one of the wisest people to have ever lived. So the Bible is filled with the wisdom literature, which is written essentially by King Solomon. Uh, we have Ecclesiastes. We have the Song of Solomon. We have the book of Proverbs, which is an incredible source of life wisdom that people have been turning to for millennia. But what's more is we know that during his time, during his reign, people sought him out. Other rulers, other scholars would travel hundreds of miles, which is a big day, a thousand years before Christ, seeking him out precisely for his wisdom, to sit at his feet, as they would say back in that day, and learn from him. So he's incredibly wise, but he was also incredibly prosperous. One of the wealthiest people to have ever have lived relative to the day and age in which he lived. 
Um, the biblical story, for what it's worth, is right after the passing of his dad, King David, who was kind of a big deal, God showed up to Solomon and said, hey, what would you have me do for you? And Solomon responded, Lord, I want wisdom. And God's response to him was, wow, since you asked for wisdom and not wealth and possessions and uh, long life, I'm going to go ahead and give you wisdom and those things as well. He was very prosperous, and I don't need to make the case too, too much. We're going to get into some of that. He's very, very wealthy. And then number three, he was uniquely qualified to be this, this thought teacher because he experienced decades of peace. Why does that matter? Well, in the ancient world, ancient kings rarely experienced any peace. But Solomon experienced decades of peace. Uh, so he had this time. He had this wealth. He had this wisdom to dedicate himself to what I like to think of as an exper uh, uh, experiential laboratory. He made his life an experiential laboratory. If that's not helpful to you, you can throw it away. But that's how it kind of came to me this week. He dedicated his life to be this experience lab where he dedicated all these things about his life, his wisdom, his wealth, the peace that he had, in order to see where it would lead him. Here's how he says it in verse uh, 10 of chapter 2. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. In other words, he's saying, I lived it up. <laughs> and toward at what end? He's saying here, in this book, he said, I, I did this in order to dedicate my life to understanding what is the meaning, if any, in all of it. And he's trying to wrestle with that. What does it all mean? And his conclusion that he just comes out the gate swinging with, and really where he ends, by the way, he repeats it over and over throughout the entire book. His conclusion as this teacher is everything under the sun, a phrase that he uses about 25 times throughout the book, meaning the material world, He's saying, if this is all there is, his conclusion is meaningless, meaningless. It is utterly meaningless. A phrase that he repeats 30 times throughout the book. Like I said, a very, very uplifting message here. But this word meaningless uh, has in the ancient Hebrew this, this idea of vapor. Okay, so if I were to spray a bottle of water, we all understand that, you know, there's substance to it. But the minute we start to, like, reach out for it, the minute we try to grasp it, there, there isn't anything there. It's empty is another way to describe, uh, translate this word. It's all, it's all meaningless, he says, everything under, under the sun. And what he's, what he's almost pleading, pleading at with all of us as we read this book is that we've got to wrestle with these things. We've got to consider. It's too important of a topic. Does life have a purpose to not, to not wrestle with it? And so uh, he gets into some of these different uh, ways of thinking, these, these life philosophies. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes is about 12 chapters long. He gets into a lot of them. And frankly, having been written in such early times before a lot of these philosophies have been articulated to the way we understand them today, it's really quite profoundly helpful in that regard. Uh, we can't get into all of them. There's no way. This is just a survey sermon, okay? Um, but uh, we will look at a few. Uh, number one, let's consider... The pursuit of pleasure. So this is one of the ones he especially highlights. He says the pursuit of pleasure is meaningless. This thought teacher who's used his life as an experiential laboratory, he's like pursuing pleasure at the end of the day is, is meaningless. Here's where he says it in uh, Ecclesiastes 2. He said, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also pr proved to be meaningless. 
I tried cheering myself with wine. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused myself uh, refused my heart no pleasure, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. In other words, this guy did not hold back. He says that he took on this harem. From other biblical accounts, we understand that he probably had at least 300, maybe 500 concubines. It's worth noting real quick that the Bible never condones this and often condemns it in specific case in reference to Solomon himself. But for the sake of our purposes here in Ecclesiastes, here he's going, I didn't deny myself that. I went, I went there. We're told he took singers. I love this. It's like before the day and age of Netflix, he brought like a personal Netflix to him. Our kids were watching AGT last night, America's Got Talent. He brought AGT, well, not AGT, you know, Near Eastern talent to him. It's like... And he just, he, singers, concerts. I mean, you can just imagine the extravagance of it. He had all these crazy properties, vacation homes. He had the best vineyards and wine, no doubt. You name it. But his conclusion at the end of it was pursuing pleasure is just meaningless. Uh, I remember a while back I was watching this interview. I forget where I was watching it, but it had a comment section. So YouTube, I can't remember. And... Uh, there was this guy who was known for being a bit of a playboy, extravagant life liver. You know, I mean, he just living the extravagant life. And that was his M.O. was just a, women, experiences, food, exotic travel, you name it. And at one point, he stirred the waters in controversy. I'm not like he didn't have that before. But when he said something to the effect of, man, life just to me has become so boring. It's like, it's just, I've experienced it all. There's like nothing left. I'm just... Just so like meh with with it all. And then I don't know if he saw the interviewer kind of like, you know, balk at that a little bit, but he kind of got a little defensive and he went on to say, no, 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 you need to understand. Like every day I'm eating like hundreds of dollars of a piece of steak. And so if I go back to like eating normal food, like I can't do that. You need to understand. It's it's hard. I was like, I don't even need to read the comment section (laughs) to like know that guy got tore into, right? I remember a little while back I read, I think, I think it was in the New Yorker, I forget, uh, there are these vacation planning companies that uh, offer services to the uber rich. Have you seen this? Maybe you came across the same article. And their whole deal is, man, they are dealing with people who have experienced it all, expect the best of the best of the best. And so, you know, one guy was saying, we can't just put our clients on huge yachts. We got to put them on huge yachts and take them into the Arctic, fly, you know, helicopter in celebrities for a personal acoustic concert. All the while, our team is setting off fireworks behind the icebergs for them. It's like I'm reading that, and I'm literally becoming numb as I'm reading it. And you know, what we can do is we can think, okay, Solomon, okay, dude on that you know, YouTube video, okay, uber-rich people. We can think, man, that is nuts because they're the extreme. But then wait a minute. What about like you know, all the pleasure we have available to us in our pocket. I mean, in some ways, relatively speaking, this is more than Solomon ever had. But that's actually even beside the point, because Solomon's point is to say, look, even if you can 
pursue pleasure to the absolute max, to, to max out on pursuing pleasure. He's like, it's a chasing of the wind. It's vapor. It's meaningless, ultimately. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who was a staunch atheist, outspoken atheist for much of his life, became a Christian in his later years. Uh, he spoke about this. He said, you know, the only way that I can experience uh, pleasure, this is, he was talking about this before, you know, uh, the only way I could experience pleasure was just to not think about it. He said, because if I thought about the reality of, of the pleasures in my life, I realized that it was all an illusion. And what he meant by that, he said something, he said something like, I, when I enjoy music, when I enjoy the love of another, when I enjoy, you know, the, the embrace of a child, like I had to think, I had to actively not think that that was only electrochemical reactions happening in my, my nerves and brain. He said, I had to like actively not think about that reality and not think about it being, being an illusion in order to enjoy those things. That makes me think of the Matrix. You remember that scene in the Matrix with uh, the Judas character? I think his name's Cypher. Uh, great actor, that guy. Joe something, I forget. Uh, but uh, Cypher is in this restaurant within the Matrix uh, eating steak with Agent Smith. You remember this scene? And, uh, you know, Agent Smith is working. He's the machines. He's the bad guy, right? And Cypher is there uh, selling out his friends, right? It's just an act of betrayal. And he's saying, hey, I'm going to give you the information that you need in order for you to plug me back into the Matrix so I can just go back to that, that life. He said, and if, when you plug me back into the Matrix, can you hook me up? Can you, can you, like, give me some money? Can you give me a beautiful wife? Can you give me a job that's, like, meaningful but not too hard? Like, he's just, he's got it all worked out. And then Agent Smith's like, yeah, we can do that. Okay. But then there comes this moment, which I think to me is very a climactic part of the movie, when he takes a little cut of his steak, he looks at it, and he says, you know, I know this is not real, this piece of steak, and I know the Matrix is getting ready to tell me that it's juicy and it's delicious, even though I know it's not real. And he takes the bite and he says, but you know what I've come to learn? Ignorance is bliss. And it's, 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 a, it's meant to be a bombshell of a moment in the movie, because it's in that movie that the viewer, I believe, is, is, is urged to lean forward and scream out, how could you? And not just how could you sell out your friends, that's part of it, but how could you knowingly choose meaninglessness? I mean, what Solomon is saying is, hey, if that's where you arrive, okay, but don't just write this up. You've got you to wrestle with this. You gotta think long and hard. It might not be easy, it might be, it might be heavy, but we, it's too important not to. So number one, he says the pursuit of pleasure is meaningless. Number two, he says the pursuit of accomplishments is meaningless. Oh, and I'm sorry, I, I, I forgot to mention this because I kind of highlighted it in my notes. For this, I think you guys are all tracking with me, but this, the first one, the pursuit of pleasure is the hedonist worldview, right? Maximizing pleasure, minimizing pain. You know, living for happiness in the day in, day out. And, and Solomon is challenging that. He's saying, be thoughtful about that. Uh, the, the humanist thought is the pursuit of accom accomplishments. And Solomon is calling this meaningless. Pursuing accomplishments is meaningless. Here's how he says it in verse 3. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? I wonder if this one hits home a little bit more for us in the Silicon Valley. Uh, how many of us are pursuing accomplishments, right? The humanist says, well, when it's all said and done, let's just leave the world a better place. 
it may or may not be meaningless, but let's leave the world better. Let's leave it more flourishing than when we, than when we got here. And really, this is what we say in, at funerals. This is what we write in obituaries. We say things like, oh, their life uh, enriched mine. It enriched the world around them. And, and that's another way of saying that, we, that their life mattered. It, it had meaning. And like a punch to the gut, Solomon is saying, yeah, no, that's meaningless too. It's like, thanks, you jerk. In all seriousness, he's saying, you know, the thing I love about Ecclesiastes, I don't have the time to kind of pull this out. You really got to read it because he's not just being flippant here. You can see he's really thought about this, not just at the intellectual level, but also at the heart level. What he's, what he's doing is he's trying to waken us up, shake us around so that we would take this seriously. He's like, if you pursue accomplishments, really at the end of the day, that too is ultimately meaningless. Uh, here's how he puts it in verse 11. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I mean, how many of us can remember our great-grandparents? Uh, my dad uh, recently uh, has been writing up a snapshot biography of my great-granddad, my grandpa, his dad, uh, who were both pastors, like my dad and, and I. Um, I asked him if he could do this because uh, my son, Caleb, was asking about uh, you know, my grandpa and great-great-grandpa. And I realized I didn't really remember, I don't, have a lot, I don't remember a lot about them. I couldn't really share too much. And so I was like, Dad, can you write this down so we can preserve it? And so it's been fun talking to Caleb about it. It's been fun talking to my dad about it. Excuse me. And at one point, it was hilarious. My dad was all, I'm so glad you, you, you're enjoying this, son, because really, I mean, there's like three of us on the planet who care about this. <laughs> I was like laughing and crying at the same time, but... I mean, if you, if you pull the lens out, what Solomon is essentially saying is, even if you end up having the accomplishments of a Steve Jobs, at some point, you and I will not be remembered. It's pursuing accomplishments, in this sense, is, is meaningless. And yet, here's what we do in the Silicon Valley, all the more. We pursue accomplishments. Uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine this last week, totally random. It's awesome that this worked out. I'm like, dude, I'm using that my sermon this week. He's like, great. He's, he's reading a book called, uh, I can't remember, is, uh, is it uh, The Gap and Gain? Have any of you guys read that? Yeah, I see some, some of you shaking, uh, nodding, so I'm getting it right. Uh, the Gap and Gain, and he was telling me how in this book, the author and the experts have found that CEOs are some of the most miserable people, like across the board. Like they experience some of the most, the, the highest levels of unhappiness, and highest rates of divorce when you compare them to the rest of the population. And then they were thinking about that, and their conclusion for why that is is because CEOs tend to never be satisfied with what's yet to come. So they're constantly tinkering, worrying, planning, stressing about what's next, and they miss out on the present. And so I'm like thinking about that, thinking about what Solomon's saying, and thinking like not only if what Solomon is saying under the sun Pursuing accomplishments is meaningless. We're also tearing ourselves to pieces as we do it. So Solomon's saying we've got to think about these. We've got to wrestle with them. The pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of accomplishment, meaningless. And then the last one we'll highlight today is the pursuit of justice. That too is even meaningless. And this is the existential thought. The existentialist says, okay, you're right. Life doesn't have meaning. But I'm going to, so, so I'm going to therefore make my own meaning. And while the world is going the way we all know it's going to be, where, where it's going, 
I'm going to live the noble life. I'm going to live the compassionate life. I'm going to live the life of justice. I'm going to seek good. I'm going to seek what's right for those around me. And Solomon considers this too. In verse 14 and 15, he says, I have seen all, all the things that, that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, chasing after the wind. Then he says this, what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. And then he says a little bit more explicitly in chapter 4, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors, and they have no comforter. And then he says, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun? So it's really important to note that Solomon is calling the injustices in the world as he observes them both meaningless and evil. Meaning he's saying they, they are terrible, they are wrong, they are bad, even as they, are, they will ever persist. Now, does this mean we don't pursue justice? Of course not. Remember, Solomon is just asking these questions to kind of wrestle with them, think about them. There's a lot that even just Jesus, let alone the rest of Scripture, say about Christians pursuing justice and righteousness, okay? But Solomon, in a very real, real way, is saying if life is just what's under the sun, if it's just the material world, pursuing justice is meaningless. I mean, think about it this way. Apart from, if, if the material world is all that we have, how do we even define justice? How do we even define what's good and right? Bad from good, right from wrong, all those sorts of things? Do we just take a consensus? Is it a collective majority? I mean, history is replete with well-intended majority and collectives, even if unintentionally oppressing the de demographics that are in the minority. Okay, so then do we just decide on what's good or right on, based on our personal experience? Well, we don't have to think too hard about that. What about when my personal thoughts of right and wrong are different than yours? Oh, and by the way, what about human nature being so fickle that when I come to something, maybe I'll bend what I think is right and wrong in that moment just to... It, I mean, to me, and this is really not the scope of today's message, although maybe we'll get back to it in, in this Explore God series. To me, this is one of the most compelling reasons for there being a God, is this innate nature in us that believes in right and wrong. Solomon's saying, if life is just what's under the sun, pursuing even justice that he goes ahead and calls evil is, is meaningless. Okay, what do we do with all of this? Thank you, Solomon, teacher. Like, what do we do with this? Uh, what's the answer? And he doesn't really give us an answer. All right, let us close and pray. No. I mean, more or less. <laughs> he doesn't really give us a, 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 an answer that resolves all. Remember, that's what the rest of the Bible is. He's asking questions. But he does give us a thought as he concludes his book that offers hope. He says this. Now, all, now that all has been heard, here's the conclusion on the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or or evil. Again, this doesn't answer everything, doesn't resolve it all into a nice bow, but what, what we see here is Solomon is convinced that the existence of mortality, you know, that we're going to die, that things are fading into chaos, the existence of troubles, woes, challenges, hardships in our lives, all of this makes the pursuit of all these things meaningless. 
Again, the key accompanying phrase to this of all these things under the sun. And so where he concludes is there's intrinsic value and purpose in life with God. He says, fear God and keep his commandments. This is not to say that pleasure, accomplishments, justice aren't things worth pursuing. In fact, some of these are, especially when it comes to justice and accomplishing things on behalf of others, the Bible very much preaches. But it's to say that they become purposeful when God is at the center of life of your life. That's the claim Solomon's trying to make with these words, with his conclusion. So what do we do with this? What, what, what are our takeaways? Uh, for those of you who are checking out Christianity, uh, maybe you're coming back to church after a while, maybe you've had some experiences in the past, whatever, whatever the case is, you don't identify as Christian. To you, I believe the message of Ecclesiastes is an invitation to explore God, to consider these things. And I just want to say this in brief, but the Bible goes on to say, well, I'll put it this way. Jesus at one point says, all of the Bible points to me, which includes Ecclesiastes. All of the Bible points to me, and specifically what he did on the cross, or his gospel, which means literally good news, that Jesus came to do for us what we cannot do. He lived the perfect life and then died for us in our place so that we could receive forgiveness and a personal relationship with him. That's the gospel we receive by faith. That's the central message of, of the Christian teaching, of, of the biblical teaching. Jesus came and said very famously, I have come that you would have life and have life to the fullest. Meaning that we find meaning in the very things of pleasure, accomplishments, justice in him. And I would encourage you uh, to take the Pascal challenge. You guys know Blaise Pascal from the 17th century, one of the, the great intellectual minds of, the, of Western civilization. This mathematician, uh, he did, grew up not really knowing uh, about God, uh, but he had a middle-of-the-night experience where he woke up the next day and, and, and his life changed. He started to follow God earnestly, and the rest of his life he made it a real high priority for him to try to help his friends come back to God. And so in, in his vernacular in those days, he said, why don't you take this wager with God? I think in our vernacular would be, why don't you take this challenge? And that is to test and see if he's there. If he's a personal God, to ask him to reveal himself to you. And to Pascal's reasoning, he's like, and if that doesn't work, then what have you to lose, you know? So here would be my humble suggestion to you, is over, say, the next seven days, praying the prayer, God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? And then sincerely looking for ways in which he might make that known to you. Uh, my father-in-law, before he passed away, uh, he was giving his what we call testimony, his story of how he came to put his faith in Jesus. And he just started listing off like 30 things that he's just like, after he became Christian, he's like, yeah, I knew God was pursuing me, but I just kept saying it wasn't him. Hey, the whole point of this is not to try to be like, hey, you got to believe this already. It's to basically do what Solomon is doing in this book with all the things under the sun. It's to test and see. So I'd encourage you to do that. Pray, God, if you're there, would you reveal yourself to me? And for those of you who are followers of Jesus... I would ask you, are you living in light of those things beyond the sun? You know, not just under the sun. Whatever you're pursuing under the sun, is it connected to things eternal? Because if what Jesus came to do is, is true, then it means everything in life therefore takes not just meaning, but infinite meaning, infinite purpose in him. Something as seemingly as mundane as a conversation over lunch with a coworker, getting the chance to 
push, point them a little bit towards God, could end up being a conversation three billion years from now you're laughing about and thanking God together with that individual for. Something seemingly as random as an, a word of encouragement to someone here on a, on a quote-unquote random Sunday could be something that three billion years from now you are thanking God for along with that person for his kindnesses, his gifts of love and grace. The point is, in Christ, everything takes on infinite meaning. So it's really a pleasure to start this Explore God experience with you. Uh, we're looking to wonder together. Uh, the, the current groups, I'd encourage you to move towards. If you haven't joined one, if you want to check out one of these lunches, we encourage you. The whole goal of this is to continue to ask questions together. I mean, obviously, my goal as pastor, Christian church, is to convey, hey, what do we see here? What, what is this teaching? But the, the point is to think about these things together, wherever you're at on your spiritual journey. Uh, next, next week is, is there a God? I hope you come back for that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for life, for the air that fills our lungs, for our senses, for our relationships, for opportunities, all these things that we regularly, I know I do, take for granted. And thank you for what's more, that if, if it's true what you did for us, which we believe as a church, of course, is true, that all these things now just don't just take on some meaning, they take on infinite meaning. I pray that you would reveal yourself to all of us, believer and non-believer alike, through this series. As we, as we explore God, as we explore you, would you reveal yourself to us? And to us as a church, we ask in Christ's name, amen.